Bonjour, mes amis. You're welcome. What was that? You're welcome. With Hillary Rushford. Say it again. You're welcome. In advance. Hello, friend. Today's episode is a special one. I created it for anyone who either struggles to dream big, to know what their dreams are, or has too many dreams and feels unsure how to choose them or where to begin. This is a different kind of episode. If you have the Elegant Excellence Goals Journal, you'll find pages inside to take notes on this specific episode. If you don't have the journal, you do not need it to get every ounce of goodness out of this exercise. Though, if you want to move forward in all the next steps, you can find your journal at elegantexcellence.com, which is linked below. Throughout today, I'm going to ask you a lot of questions, and I recommend that you hit pause, you do some writing, and then come back, press play, keep listening. However, if, say, you are driving or holding a coffee in one hand and the subway pole in the other, or you are out for your morning walk on the beach and you have nothing to write with, though you do perhaps have a notes phone uh, notes app on your phone, but you can just listen. Be okay that you won't mentally answer every question fully. And then, as many of you tell me you already do, plan to listen a second time when you have something to write with. That takes more time than a normal episode, so don't worry about cramming it in today. But soak in the first layer of ahas Simply Listening brings you and then feel inspired to return when the time is right and truly go deeper. I'll begin by confessing that I've never had any trouble dreaming that when I discovered a personality type test last year called the Enneagram, which we'll discuss more on a future episode, I found out of the nine types, I'm a four, the romantic dreamer. So it makes sense that that's always been the way my brain works, that it comes naturally to me. But over the last few months in conversations with girlfriends and receiving personal DMs on Instagram, I've been reminded that it doesn't always come easily for all of us or doesn't come easily in some seasons. I've remembered things that have helped me along the way that I had since forgotten. So I believe that we're most likely to fall into one of five categories when it comes to dreaming. So if you're taking notes, just write down these five words. Stats, sidekick, split, supersize, slothful. I'll repeat them again in a minute. But which of these descriptions sounds most like you when you think more about why you aren't today living out a dream on top of the world in love with your life? Is it more because you are the stats dreamer? Some of us are super practical. We struggle to dream because we don't feel comfortable saying what we want unless we understand how we can make that happen, how it's a realistic goal or dream. You want to be guaranteed the outcome before you even dare to say you want it. Your first response would be, yeah, but how do I start? Okay, well, how would someone like me do that? Next is the sidekick dreamer. Some of us are super guilty. We struggle to dream because we don't feel comfortable saying that we want more. We want big things. So we try to play small to make our dreams only about making other people happy. You want to be guaranteed no one will judge you for your dreams, that everyone will still think you're nice and generous, even once you're honest about what you really want. Your first response would be, oh, I just want to make other people happy. I don't need anything, but what dream of yours can I help you with? 
Then the split dreamer. Some of us have two dreams, in conflict, and we are standing at the train station eternally debating which train to get on. In our mind, they are headed in totally different directions and we're paralyzed with indecision. You want to be guaranteed you're making the right decision before you decide. Your first response will be, but I want both. Or, but what if I choose the wrong one? The supersized dreamer. Some of us dream so big, have so many dreams we're trying to pursue all at once that they actually come into conflict with one another. You don't want to have to give up anything, so you often end up getting even less because of it. You want to be guaranteed you can have and do it all. Your first response will be, well, I also want this and that. Oh, oh, and I want to do that too. The slothful dreamer. Some of us say we have dreams, but we do nothing to move them forward. We might not even do the work to figure out what our dreams are. Or if we do, we don't take the action, risk, put in the work to make them happen. You want to be guaranteed that the dream will be easy. Your first response will be, um, yeah, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I'll think about it. We'll revisit these again at the end, but I want to acknowledge all five before we go through today's prompts because I believe in our own way, we all come up with excuses when it comes to dreaming. That we can't choose, or we don't know, or we might be wrong, or we aren't sure how. You're not alone or unique that when it comes to actually deciding, declaring, and doing, dreaming can be a challenge. So notice your thoughts as you move forward today. What are you resisting, defending, fearing, explaining, rationalizing? Because you're not alone in doing it, but we also all do it differently. So what comes up for you is valuable to note, and that in and of itself tells you something about yourself. Even though I am a dreamer, I still played small when I look back at certain dreams in my life. I wanted to marry someone who shared my faith. But I thought, well, maybe there aren't enough guys out there. So I tried to downplay the why or the what because I wasn't sure the how. I remember back in high school thinking that my friends Janet and Kelly would both be wealthy someday, and I wouldn't. Which I was okay with, but it just didn't feel feasible for me. I figured they would marry wealthy guys and have big houses. And again, I was okay with that, which that's an insight that money isn't my biggest driver or dream. But... Huh, it's just interesting that I assumed a bigger dream for them than myself. Based not on the fact that we wanted different careers, that wasn't because I was going to be an actress and she was going to be a lawyer, but just a general nebulous assumption. That it isn't the end of the world to have that thought at 17, but it does point out to me that I'm not a shoot-for-the-moon kind of dreamer. People would ask me in high school if I wanted to be on Broadway someday, and I felt like they didn't really get it. Like, I knew I was one of the leads at my high school, but I went to a small school. I felt like I had the prudence to know I was a big fish in a little pond, and there were millions of girls like me all across America. And yes, I think I was right. And yes, it was wise. I didn't bound off to New York City at 18, expecting a Broadway producer to discover me on day two and make me a star. But a few years later, I booked a Broadway tour. And then the Radio City Rockettes. So it turns out that maybe my realism wasn't dreaming big enough. And again, that wasn't detrimental. I didn't, I did end up having that career and I didn't have a big ego, though, to be honest, I look back and I see 
if I had had more confidence and conviction in myself in high school, I probably would have fought harder to ask my parents for more help with like singing lessons and coaches and things like that. That to be totally honest, by the time I got to New York City, I was behind in certain areas because I realized these other kids had started at 14 and I hadn't. But again, it's also just interesting to note that as bold as most people would see me as today, having great big dreams for my company, I want to point out that wasn't based upon a vision from high school through my 20s in dating, of being so confident and clear in exactly what I wanted, you know, in a marriage or in a career, in my theater career before, or blazing a path into entrepreneurship and and in my life in general. It was a lot of playing smaller and not dreaming as big as the life I have today. So we talked about this in episode 16, if you want to go re-listen. But the question a student brought to me about being afraid to dream of, say, becoming a New York Times bestseller because what if it doesn't happen? And I taught that my belief is the only chance it will happen is if you chase it. So sure, I didn't believe in high school I was destined for Broadway, but a few years later, I was at the audition. And yes, I was unsure if I would meet a man who shared my faith, but I was active in my church and kept my heart open and didn't have walls up when I met Jeremy. And yet I know I was terrified by how much I wanted to meet someone because that meant every year I was single, I was so aware that I didn't have my dream. So I get, I empathize deeply with the impulse to try to play smaller, to pretend that you want less, to try to believe that you don't really want that thing so that you'll be less disappointed if it doesn't happen or if it hasn't happened yet. And Life can happen for you if you're hiding or kicking and screaming or trying to burn it all down, but it is much more likely and certainly more enjoyable when you both dare to dream big and take the risk of envisioning a life you love and when you narrow those dreams enough to not just be wishing but actively pursuing the things that you believe matter most. If you know where you're going, you're likely to get there faster and easier. We all know that. So we want to envision a story that is big enough because we believe that we or God or the universe are capable and worthy of big and beautiful things. And we want to envision a story that's specific and unique enough that we're not just being average. We don't just want what everybody else wants because that wouldn't make us happy. We don't want 101 things under the sun. We want to be exceptional, exceptionally happy blessed, impactful, generous, whatever it is we want in the things that will make us feel that way. So I'm going to ask you a series of questions today as prompts to explore what is it that your heart and head light up at? And then what do those mean? And the most important thing is that you don't judge yourself. You don't rationalize your way out of this. You don't say, well, that's silly or, but that wouldn't work for me. That couldn't happen for me. Well, that contradicts what I said over there. Well, I don't think I can have both this and that at the same time. I'm probably too old for that to happen. It's dreaming. It's fun. It's imagination. It's flowy and fluffy and light. It's your heart, not your head. It's not an analysis. You don't have to show this to anyone, tell anyone, justify anyone. 
You do not need to be able to explain how these things would be feasible. Almost four years ago, my friend Josh shed something so powerful with me that it has stuck with me since. He said, you don't need to know how God will do something to believe he can do it. And I remember that year, it was early January 2016, I was in a hotel in Santa Monica, California, doing a self-retreat for a night or two, working my way through the exercises that four years later now have become the Elegant Excellence Goals Journal. And I realized that's exactly what I was trying to do. I was trying to figure out how I could, say, create a course. But I didn't have the people on my team at the time to make it happen. So how can I even say that I want the course when I don't have the people? And then how could I say that I wanted to hire someone like that if I didn't know where to look? Or I was like, well, it's really, you know, it seems highly unlikely that someone's going to have this quality and be able to have this skill set as well, right? But don't ask how you can find the employee, the spouse, get pregnant. Just be honest for today and this exercise that you want them. And then if you have the journal, we'll organize this version into 10 years, three years, one years, and break it down into the path and project maps and monthly priorities and weekly plans so we'll move the right dreams forward in the right order. But for today, we just dream. And to me, dreams are different than goals. To quote Cinderella, a dream is a wish your heart makes when you're fast asleep. A goal is measurable. You can check it off a box. You can make an action plan, a project map. And inside the journal, that's what we get to next. But a dream really is listening to your heart. When you're fast asleep, meaning you're just watching a movie or scrolling Instagram or listening to someone else's story and your heart leaps a little at a detail and you may barely notice anymore because your rational brain just swats it away. Today, we're taking notice and we're just dreaming. Again, if you are listening while you're on the road, just take a look and notice this time signature so you can come back to around this spot and press play a second time when you can write. If you have your journal, there are pages inside for you to take notes on this specific exercise. But however and wherever you are now, you can learn something from your head and your heart by pondering these questions. And if I was you, I wouldn't even write the questions down on my notes personally. I would just pause this and write the answers. Because at the end, which prompt you got this from is irrelevant. You can just have a brain dump all over the pages of words, phrases, people, places, ideas, topics. Personally, I wouldn't write in complete sentences. I would just jot little things down as though it's all of the different ingredients that we're going to have lying all over the kitchen. It's all the different colors of paint that we're going to have scattered all around our canvas to step back and look at and consider when we're done. Let us begin with, what are films that you've loved? The way they felt or looked, the art direction, the narrative of a certain character. What comes up for me is the film The Talented Mr. Ripley. I saw that film years ago. So it's not a new film, and I haven't even seen it in forever. But when I asked myself this question, that was the first thing that came up, something super long ago. And I thought, why is it that that film has stuck with me so much? I thought, well, 
Jude Law and Gwyneth Paltrow's life in that movie is he's a writer and they're living on the coast in Italy or France and they spend time on boats and she has this wonderful sort of feminine, vintage, classic, relaxed style and their friend comes to town to visit and they're having meals out on their like back balcony and then she's wandering through the little village. I mean, when I relate it, If you have been following me on Instagram for the last couple of years, guys, that's everything I love, right? Doesn't that exactly sound like I'm describing what my ideal life is and the way that Jeremy and I travel and what I do for work and how we planned our elopement? Of course, minus the sociopath that um, it doesn't have to be every detail in the movie. But that movie is actually a thriller. It wasn't the terrifying parts that I was resonating with. But there is something so captivating that I have thought about that movie for, honestly, I I didn't look up when it came out, but I'm assuming over a decade. And that when I first watched that movie, I did not think I could spend every summer in the south of France. I might be a writer. I'd have the kind of friends that would travel abroad to come visit and stay with us for a couple of weeks. I mean, none of that felt feasible at all. At that point in my life, I was probably headed to become a university professor teaching theater and a regional choreographer of musical theater. That had nothing to do with my life. But there is something in there that that was part of my heart and my soul and my head that was a key to what I really wanted. I'll give you a few more of my examples and then I'll give you some time to write for yours. Another is the movie An Education with Carrie Mulligan. And she is really appreciated by this older guy that she meets, which I think to me meant that she was she was special. She was advanced for her years. She was, you know, wise beyond her years. There was a wisdom in her. Um, spoiler alert, turns out that he's married. So again, it's not the details here, but it's why did I love that music movie so much that it was the art direction is is what I want my living room to look like. And it was being someone who is seen as wise beyond their years. And the third one for me is Sliding Doors with Gwyneth Paltrow. It's this idea of destiny. And do small changes change the course of your life? And ultimately, the answer was no. So you don't need to overanalyze. And again, minus the being cheated on. (laughs) Um, It wasn't wanting to live that person's exact story. But Yes, I now am am a life coach in essence through this podcast, and I end up thinking about a lot of these things. How do the choices that we make affect our lives and and all of that? That is not what I was thinking at the time when I was a choreographer. So I noticed for me that these are things that stayed with me for a long time. They aren't, it isn't that there's a perfect story, but there's elements of the character or the setting that I want to give you a moment to just jot down and think of what was it about that style, that relationship, that place, that career? What are the films that stand out to me that I felt some connection to for some reason? I'm going to give you some time to think, and then you can always press pause for more time. Next up, are there TV shows that made you feel a certain way. They're not just shows that you found entertaining or funny or sad, but there's something about the characters or the premise that makes your heart yearn. I wish that was me. There's just something about it. For me, that is The West Wing. 
I loved that show. And what that says to me is, I want to change the world. I want to do something important, be a part of a small team, have influence, and use it for good. And again, when I was obsessed with West Wing, this is back when I was on tour with the Rockettes, and I was in my musical theater career, and I was not doing anything that I'm doing today. But I can look back and see, all right, I'm not working in politics. I don't have anything to do with D.C. or the White House. But actually, the elements of that are present in my life today. I'm doing something important in my work. I'm a part of a small team. I have influence and I use it for good. Scandal was another one for me with Kerry Washington that I think there's something about being drawn to that, you know, the the strong female lead. And that, again, while the show got very complicated in its storylines, initially they were the white hats. They were doing something for good. They were using strength to fight for what was right, to fight for the underdog. Another was What Not to Wear. Such an old show, but Stacey and Clinton, where they would do these makeovers for people. And I loved seeing how and why they would make them over. Years before it ever occurred to me that I wanted a career in fashion or style. I mean, that was nowhere on my radar, guys. And this was my favorite TV show. Another was a wedding story. I mean, I'm really dating myself here, but does anyone remember TLC's A Wedding Story? My college roommate and I were obsessed, and they would just tell the story of a couple that got married. And so, yes, I have always loved love. You hear from other people that they never wanted to get married. They never thought about weddings. They thought they wouldn't ever be in a relationship. Nope. I was the girl with my roommate in college watching wedding shows. I always knew that was something that I really wanted as a part of my life. And a more recent TV show is Queer Eye. I love watching them change people's lives in just a few days. And now it makes so much more sense. The way that they show up in people's lives is the same thing that I want to be able to do through my style book or my style course or if I had a style show someday. So it makes so much sense that I I just want to burst out of my skin with so much joy when I watch that freaking TV show because I'm like, yes, this is, this is what I, too, want to do in the world, and I love watching you do it in the world. I feel so inspired and encouraged and reminded of what I am passionate and care about. So take some time and think about what are the characters, the premises in various TV shows that you've watched now or long ago in the past that there was something that made you think, oh, I want a family like that, or oh, I want a life like that. Next, how about any novels or books that you've read? And I put this question in because when I came up with it, nothing came up for me. And I want to use that as an example that for some of you with these questions, you may kind of draw a blank. Not every question may resonate with you in the same way. For me, I think, okay, what are the books that I read? Well, I read some thrillers, which no, they're just all terrifying and sad. Um, I think of a book I loved like Where'd You Go, Bernadette, where she was super crazy and kooky and wacky. No, that was just a funny book. Um, okay, Great Gatsby. Yeah, that one I sort of has like a magical vibe to it, but there's nothing that really clicks with me more than I love that classic era. But for the most part, I'm just going to shrug that this question really doesn't have much for me, but it might for you. What are characters, storylines, places, what is it that you are so drawn to? Whether that is the fact that 
someone helps or someone heals. There is something redeemed. There is an adventure. Maybe it is that I can recall reading actually a Fitzgerald book in the south of France three summers ago while I was in the south of France. Um, And that might be an example of, oh, why do I find all of those writers of Fitzgerald and Hemingway, you know, so compelling? Oh, well, I guess maybe it does go back to that desire of of Paris and the south of France that I see in other areas of my life. Maybe that's part of the reason why I love those writers. Consider Instagram accounts that you follow when you're leisurely scrolling, and what are the ones where you idealize their life? There's something about it that you really love, or which are ones that you admire, but you don't actually want to be. It might just be pretty or fun to look at, but you're not really thinking, oh, gosh, I wish that was me somehow. Or the ones that you are looking to, what part of their life is it? Because it's probably not their whole life. There's something really specific in it. So for me, number one is people who frequently travel. Always. I love travel. You heard me talk in last week's episode about um, how that has been such a huge motivating driver in my life. It's part of my family. So I know that I love travel and therefore I'm going to curate my life. And I became an entrepreneur in part because musical theater is a career that does not allow you to travel because you're constantly terrified that there's going to be an audition or a callback or it's audition season or whatever it is. But amongst that travel even, what kind of travel am I most drawn to? I mostly notice beaches and pools. Okay, but what about the beaches and pools? Well, it's not the 24-7 bathing suit life. Like when I think about that part of it, no, I actually don't really, I wouldn't really be happy if I've thought, oh, for three months a year, I just never change out of my bathing suit. I actually like wearing real clothes and cute dresses. And I'm not looking at these girls in their tiny bikinis actually wishing that I had this banging bikini body, which might be what someone else is taking from that exact same image when all I'm noticing is, Oh, I want to be I want to be resting. That's what that photo says to me. I want to be in sunshine and peace. And I also notice that I love cool cities, like great hotels and buildings and color and views. So that's more about inspiration. So those are kind of two different travel categories in my life. We could all use the word travel, but it could mean very different things. So when I really start to notice, what are the Instagram photos that really make me slow down? What are the ones that I save to my global travel folder? What are the ones that I DM to Jeremy and say, like, let's go here, please? What actually do they have in common? They aren't about mountains. They aren't about ski chalets. They aren't about cities in the U.S. very often. They mostly are abroad. When I think of my Instagram account, I also think um, I follow a lot of people in fashion, and I never get jealous when they're at fashion shows. That just doesn't seem that interesting to me. So I think that that's more about like insider access and sort of this fast-paced life of fashion. It might be fun to swipe for a second, but I'm not like, I can't believe I wasn't there. Yes, though, to when they travel in first class. That is a practical use of affluence. When I think about all of the affluent things that I see on my feed, I'll be honest, first class is one where I'm like, 
I would totally love that life because it's so gosh darn practical and it's so gosh darn expensive. But that's something that I actually like. I don't want a fancy car or I don't need a big house. But I'm like, yeah, if I could like sleep in that magical bed in the sky, that sounds really awesome. Notice if you are an entrepreneur and you're looking at other people um, in your field or really whatever your field is, what is it specifically that they are doing? It's not just that they're successful. But what is it that you see them come out with? And for me, it's when they're doing great video content. I'm like, oh, I want to be doing that. Okay, well, that teaches me I love video. I know that I'm good at video. I know it's a pain point in my business that we don't have more time to be able to create more of that content, which I would love. So let me just remember that that's a dream. When I see people speaking, my dad is a professional speaker. I've always loved speaking. Let me be reminded that that is something I very much want to do in my business. It's okay when I see that because I'm not just feeling jealous. It's reminding me that's something that you really want. Great. Remember that. If you have the goals journal, that'll end up on your you know, three-year or 10-year goals. Like, We'll make sure that that is on there and part of the path, even if it's not the right thing right now. I look at people who are on book tours. That's actually how I finally decided that I wanted to write a book. This is a story for another day, but one of my best girlfriends is in publishing for years. She told me that my style course, which she had taken, needed to be a book, and all of the women in her publishing office were all utilizing these principles, and they needed it to be a book. But I just didn't really want to write a book, and it wasn't until I was on Snapchat. Anyone remember Snapchat? When I was traveling on sabbatical, and I was following a couple of people that summer who happened to be on book tours. And there was just something about understanding the impact of it and the way that it flowed into other things that I saw it with fresh eyes and realized, oh, actually, the impact is the dream I have. I I didn't know that the book was the goal, but now I'm seeing that through social media that there is something else. What is it about that account? What is it about that image? that story that really resonates with us? And what is it not? What are the things that we aren't as drawn to? Or what is it that is not the factor in that photo or that person's life? It's not that, it's this. What is your crazy dream job? Whether that was what you wanted to be when you were a kid, you go back that far or in college if you've been out of school for a little while or some previous season in your life if you're a little bit older or even just now if you could snap your fingers and have a crazy dream job tomorrow what would it be so I look back and my earliest memory of what I wanted to be was a children's leukemia doctor very specific, but I read this very sad book series that I can't believe my mom let me read that was about kids who were dying of cancer. It was like a set set of young adult novels. I don't know. And for some reason, I got that in my head. And ultimately, did I want to be a doctor? No. What I wanted to do was help people. And ultimately, now, decades later, that is what I'm doing in my work. But I can notice and I can be curious What was it about being a children's leukemia doctor that seemed interesting? Then in high school, I remember looking, my dad was a professor, um, and I remember looking at the course books off of his shelf in his library, and I would read the descriptions of the different theater classes. And I would read, like, what are all the different things you could major in in college, but I would kept coming back to theater. 
And what is that about being an actor? It's performing. It's bringing joy, using your gifts, because that was something I was talented at. It's creativity. You know, for I didn't want to be a movie star. I wasn't trying to be famous. I had never been to New York City. I wasn't thinking, my name's going to be on lights. I'm going to be on Broadway. So it wasn't about the fame. It was about the creativity and, and the talent. Okay, those are things that I want in my dreams. I also wanted to be Katie Kirk. I thought that she, as the host of the Today Show, and I still believe this, of people who host those those types of television shows, have one of the coolest jobs in the world because they are required to be wise at so many areas. It's this very holistic job. They are meeting people who are famous and ordinary, like someone just average person who achieved or survived something incredible, as well as experts in every single field and people who are famous for every different kind of thing in the world. So there was such diversity there. There wasn't just one specific skill set. And for me, I realized that's what being an entrepreneur was, that I came to call it being a peacock. You've got a whole tail feather of things that you do. You're doing marketing. You're doing leadership, you're doing creativity, you're doing content creation. There's all of these different things. You're using different parts of your brain, where a lot of jobs focus on one specific part of your brain. As a doctor, you may you know, have a very narrow skill set. And to you, that might be way more appealing. Someone You look at someone like Katie Couric and you're like, gosh, she has like so many different things she has to juggle in her head. I just want to be brilliant at one thing. Also, she was on camera. So that kind of ties back into the theater and the stage presence that then ties into social media and being on stages and all of that through being an entrepreneur. Um, I then, as I mentioned, became obsessed with the show The West Wing. And I thought if I could snap my fingers and lead an alternate life, I would love to work in the White House. And um, this was obviously in a different time when things were less uh, politically charged than they are today. These were gentler times. But um, I think it was having impact and helping. It was being one of the best in the world at what you do and having that wins wisdom and having that insight. And yes, that energy now can still in a different way carry over into entrepreneurship. I remember back in college that I felt so torn. I changed my major eight times <laughs> and I think I ultimately ended up with the degree in at one point, I was an organizational communications major, literally still to this day, don't know what that means. I ended up graduating the degree in theater and English. But I remember what I was so torn by was, did I want to be on stage or did I want a corner office and pencil skirts and high heels? I looked at like marketing and advertising and I had both of these sides. But at that time, creative entrepreneurship wasn't a thing. But because I can look back at what my dreams were, what I was trying to wrestle and decide, I actually can see this has always been what's inside of me. I've always wanted the creativity and the business and the helping people, everything that I do. And it can go back so, so far into the beginning. And even now, crazy dream jobs, who would I change places with? Like Taylor Swift, playing these big sold out stadiums, bringing so much joy. Okay, great. Well, how can I try to bring that on my book tour one day? How can I, you know, have those same in-person connections with people? And what what could we do in our business in the next 10 years that would have that same kind of energy to it? So think back from childhood up until who you would trade places with right now. 
What were each of those dream jobs or crazy dreams that dream jobs that you would have? And what are the characteristics of it that might show up in another dream? Again, you don't have to be able right now to explain how that's present because maybe you don't know what you want your career to be. Maybe you're trying to make a career change and you don't know. But I'm showing you how, in my case, I didn't know for a decade. I didn't know as I was starting my business. But now I can look back and see, oh, these dreams were inside of me all along. And I didn't have to know how I was going to get there in order to begin to honor them bit by bit and believe that they would unfold. Let's think about what homes you see that you think, oh, that would be my dream home. I would love to live in that home or a home that had that element. It could be the place or the style or the specific part of it. I think our homes are so personal and the homes that we are attracted to can tell us so much about the kind of daily life we want to live. Maybe some of this is about aesthetics and just the way you would want to decorate your home, but I think a lot of it is the kind of life that you want to live, how you picture getting around, what you picture doing on a Tuesday morning or a Saturday night. So I think about someone I follow on Instagram who lives down south and they have an amazing porch outside of their house. And we love hosting people. Before we moved into this apartment with a balcony, I already knew that I loved those porches in these other houses. Well, porches don't really exist in New York City or Brooklyn. So I wasn't thinking when we moved into an apartment, you know what I really want is a, is a big porch where we can have people over. And then if you've heard the story, we accidentally got shown this apartment that we weren't supposed to see that had a balcony. And from the entire time the weather was nice, Friday, Saturday, Sunday night, three nights in a row, we would have friends over on that balcony. It was a part of our lifestyle that I desired that I saw represented in that porch. And I didn't even know that it was something that was possible in the city I was living in, in the budget that we were looking to spend any of that. I thought that was a far off dream, but it has to do ultimately with wanting to connect with people. I also follow someone who lives on the beach and she can see the beach from her house. And that to me, I love water. There's another woman I, I follow who has a lake house. And I realize how powerful water is for me, that that ability to look out and see, which again, we ended up with in this apartment. And before we moved there, I it never even occurred to me that that was really a thing in New York City, like a, a river view. It just wasn't connecting to me. You're going to see water every day. But instead, I would look at these people's Instagrams thinking, OK, babe, well, maybe if we move to someplace where there's a lake or someplace where there's an ocean. And it didn't occur to me, we literally have a giant river right here. Are we sure that there isn't someplace we could live here in Brooklyn, in New York City, with this view of the water every single day? But for years, that didn't occur to me. I just noted on my Instagram, that's something that I want. That's something that I want. It's when we leave New York City, wherever that is, but it'll be there. I love when I see people's uh, images of their houses in the Hamptons. I'm sure there's more of these, but just the people I follow tend to go to the Hamptons, I guess, be in New York City. And there's just these beautiful backyard dinners and these pools that, again, it's really this idea of community and hanging out. That's what's so important to me. It's If you notice in all of these, it's actually for me the outside the house space and the view from the house. It's never how big the house is. But for you, that might be different. You might want to have a really big 
family or, um, you know, you want to live in a cold climate and you love entertaining. So you're picturing that you got this big cabin house because that's where everybody's going to be able to come and crash. Um, or what homes do you see, not even just on Instagram, but in the lives of the people in your life? I had a friend, Morgan, years ago who lived in a breathtaking two-story, like, so there's these brownstones in Brooklyn that are four stories high, and a lot of them have been divided into two family units. So two families have the top, uh, family has the top two floors, someone else has the bottom two. They had the bottom two floors and a big backyard. And I was like, okay, this is, this is my dream. And I just had that picture in my head. I don't know that we will ever live there, but I really walked through for myself, what is it about that apartment? And there's so many specifics. There's the backyard and the fact that I want to be able to host. There is the aesthetic design of how beautiful these old houses are. There's the fact that there's a separate entrance in the front. And for some reason, I just had this vision that it would be so amazing if we had a, an individual room, bathroom, and little kitchen where we could, you know, have a, a, a sick parent live with us one day or um, a, a friend or someone from our community that, you know, maybe broke a leg and couldn't couldn't be going up and down stairs in their apartment, like just needed something for a season, needed a little bit of help, but wasn't actually living with us because they had a private entrance, but we were there when they needed it. I mean, that is a really specific dream, but that is what I got out of seeing this house of Morgan's. And it told me so much about myself that I envisioned wanting to be able to help one of my parents or wanting to be able to help someone in my community. So maybe for you, it's a craft room or it's uh, your parents' house because there just has such warmth to it. Or maybe it's people that live nearby family. And that is really the thing for you. Every time you see that people are hanging out with their nieces and nephews or their siblings or their parents, your heart just tugs and it is telling you maybe that is where your dream is to be someday. Whose lives to you just seem absolutely magical? For me, one of them is Gwyneth Paltrow. I feel like she has a company that does so many things. Like they get to create tangible products and events and they have a podcast and it just feels like there's so much creativity in everything that they get to do. I imagine, while I have no idea, but I imagine that she has really high level people just like brilliant heavy hitters. And there's this level of ease in her business where she's the face and the founder and she drove the business. But on a daily basis, it is just humming without her. She's not in there from, you know, eight to six every day making it happen. So what elements of her life? I don't want to be an actor. I do not want to be famous. It has it's the fact that she has the team and the impact and diversity. That is what is appealing to me. For you, you might look at her and say, I now I don't know a lot about her family life, but you might say like the fact that she co-parents really well with her kid's dad. If you're in that position, someone whose life might seem magical is you see their example that they got divorced, they stayed friends, they support each other, they live near to each other. And that's something that for you as someone who is a more newly divorced parent, you're like, that's part of my dream, actually 
is to have this really good relationship. And I'm, I see it through someone on Instagram or I see it through a celebrity. You don't have to know if it's true for them. You don't have to know all their ins and outs. But that's the picture and the vision that you catch that you can continue to declare, that is my dream for my life. That's not how I feel when I see my friend Joy, who lives out in the country. Um, I don't know where we want to live one day, but it don't like Texas has never been a poll. The idea of living on a farm, the idea of having chickens, like none of that. I think it's really darling and fun to watch her, but none of it makes me feel like, oh, there's some little tug in my heart that makes me want that. Um, there's two style bloggers that I follow, and I was thinking how one of them is, you know, at, at these fancy events and it just doesn't really resonate with me as much. Like, would I love to go to the Venice Film Festival? I mean, sure, that would be an amazing opportunity. But I'm not really looking at her photo thinking, ugh, I would give anything, like, someday that's going to be me. But I am looking at this other blogger who's off in Greece with her baby thinking, yeah, for real, though? Like, Greece, sunshine, take your baby, work remotely. Yeah, that's that's what I'm thinking. Like, one of them is beautiful. And I am like, would I go tomorrow to the Venice Film Festival if you give me a ticket and a gown? Yes. Thank you very much. But it's not a dream that I am working towards. It would be magical to get to go. But I see this other person and I'm like, yes, please. Sunshine and beach. Like, that is what I want. A, a person for me for years, I don't know if I've ever shared this, is Amal Clooney. In my mind, Amal Clooney basically has the coolest life on earth. She makes a difference in what she does. She's a human rights lawyer. She works on very high-level cases. She's incredibly intelligent in her own right, has this wonderful love relationship with George Clooney. She has affluence. She has a lot of opportunity in her life because of who she is. But she also has relative privacy. She isn't, you know, going to a lot of events and things like that, I believe. And I don't know a lot about their life again, which is fine. It's fine that you fill in the details. But I'm pretty sure they live like out in the English countryside. They're not in the hustle and bustle. They have a lot of privacy. And that's more my life. I don't want to be going to a lot of events. But there was something in her that I really resonated with. I looked at her when I was single as an example of she's a successful woman. She focused on her career. She didn't settle for other men along the way. And she was single for quite a while until she met George freaking Clooney. And then she went on to have like two babies and this magical life and all of that. But it was the fact that while I was a single woman, I thought, here's a woman that is succeeding in her career and she's getting the love story and she's getting the family. And I, I don't know, I want to say she was like 36 or something. Like for me, she was an example of like, okay, I have time. Like there are people that are out there that are having the things that I want and I am not too old for that. And so finding someone like that as an example, and again, you can fill in those details of their lives. Meghan Markle was kind of another one of those for me, but I've, I would say now she's receiving so much criticism and I just am so aware of how in the press she is that I feel less drawn to that because it really reminds me, I am very uninterested in like the whole fame side of things. I actually realize I am much more private. And I actually, I want the the, the porch we talked about in the home where all the people are coming to hang out. Um, but I want the 
success and the impact that I see that someone like a Meghan Markle is able to have, that she's going to be able to do so much good in the world. She's going to have connections for anyone that she wants to partner with to do something good that she cares about. It is so there and she so has the people at her disposal to like really do good in the world. So that's a nugget that I take from her. So whose lives to you seem absolutely magical and what is it about them that your heart feels so appealing? Next, let's think about what causes just so get to you when you hear about them. When you hear about this need in the world, this lack, this injustice, of course, we are empathetic humans and all of that hurts our heart. But I believe for each of us, there are certain things that just really cling onto our hearts. And these are the ones that for some reason we can't shake and something just affects us more than it does some other person in our life. So Examples for me are there was a show on Netflix a few years ago go called Last Chance You, and it was about a junior college in Mississippi or Alabama or something for uh, football players. And you know that I love college football. But what this show was really about in so many ways was young men who had been let down by our education system. That's what I took away from it. Somebody else could have loved that show because it was the behind the scenes of football or something, which, yes, that was also great. But the reason I was so captivated was realizing how much these men, young men were struggling because they had been so poorly educated from 14 to 18 that they truly didn't have the skills to take tests, to write papers. And these were the skills they needed to get their GPAs up enough to be able to get into these Division I schools where there were GPA requirements to compete at a level where they might consider being able to go into the NFL or consider coming out with a better degree. And then when they would go back to their homes and and you would see where they came from, it was just devastating. You realize they were like, my only, uh, there was one boy that said, basically your two options are go to prison or get in the NFL. And I just saw this game that I loved in this whole different way. And what was so compelling to me was the stories of these kids. Now, I have watched a lot of documentaries and docuseries, but that one just gripped me differently. I also have listened to a lot of narrative podcasts or storytelling podcasts. Uh, The Serial podcast came out a few years ago, and the first couple seasons were super fascinating. But season three on the criminal justice system in Ohio just gripped me and wrecked me. It it was a really similar message, honestly, as what was in Last Chance U. It was looking at just how challenging it is to grow up African-American in these neighborhoods, how much prejudice there is, how the system is so rigged against them, just so much that I just felt so differently than any of these other shows that I had listened to. So I can't explain to you why. I don't know why young African-American men, high school age African-American men, appear to be the group of, of people that wrecks my heart. And for someone else, it is children with Down syndrome. It is babies in orphanages in China. It is the elephants. It is global warming. 
it is all of those things. And we could sit at dinner and you could tell me about them. And I could be like, oh, I so love that that's on your heart. Oh my gosh, I didn't know that. I could so lean in and be present with you. But the thing that just moves me to tears that I find on Netflix or podcasts happens to be this one thing. And again, I don't have to know why in order to notice, okay, God, okay, universe, there's something there. What does that mean that I'm supposed to do? I have no idea. Does that mean that I'm supposed to adopt children someday? Does that mean that I'm supposed to support some, financially support some institutions? Does that, I don't know. I don't know what that means, but I'm going to notice that dream. The other one for me is um, a story from an organization called Charity Water that um, brings uh, water and clean drinking water and wells to underprivileged communities in uh, in Africa and the surrounding regions. And it's a much longer story for another day that has a lot to do with um, with the heart of Dean Street Society and this woman named Helen, um, who they went back to interview and ask her how her life had changed since the well had um come the year before. And she said, everything has changed since we got the well. Now I feel beautiful. And they said, how uh, how did you feel beautiful? Like we were expecting you to say that it, you were healthier and that you had more time and that you, know, you could become an entrepreneur because you weren't walking for water and all these things. She said, well, as a wife and a mother, you were always trying to, to make sure that there was enough first to like cook and clean for your family. And there wasn't any water left over for me. But now that we have the well, I can wash my face, I can wash my hair, and I can wash my clothes. I feel beautiful. And I just wept. I just thought, this explains like what, what I mean when I say I explore what makes women feel beautiful. I don't care about clothes. I don't care about fashion. But it is that inherent nature that me and a woman across the world who has nothing, in our hearts, we want the very same things. And I want it when I'm trying on a wildly expensive wedding dress. And she wants it when she's getting clean water. But we talked about this in our episode of the podcast on self-love, where I said, I truly believe that it is a gift from God and the universe that our hearts all desire different things. And therefore, what it is that your heart desires is amazing because it's different than mine and hers and his. And together, we're all going to help bless our corner of the world. So notice what it is that so stirs up your heart that just spikes your empathy through the roof when this issue specifically is talked about, this need is mentioned, and you don't know how, but you want to lean in and be part of the solution and the help and the healing. In your career, who do you envy and what exactly is it that they are doing within their job? What components of it is it that you're like, oh, I wish that was me, or I can't wait until that's me? For me, I really start to notice as I'm following entrepreneurs, what is it that they're doing that draws me in? And it's the fact that they're they're writing books, speaking, they have product lines, they teach, whether that's in courses, they are on camera, whether that's teaching or other kinds of video, or they had a podcast, it's their branding and making things beautiful. But if someone launches a live event, I don't feel that. There just isn't, it's just not the thing right now that speaks to me. But you know, for years before I started the podcast, it wasn't podcasting. I watched people podcast for years and I never thought, I think that's what I want to do. And it wasn't until 
the right people at the right time. And I started to notice, gosh, I would love to be doing what she's doing. So notice that these can shift. These can come up. Right now, for me, it's not live events. Maybe it could be somewhere down the road. But when I see someone created a software or an app, you know, that's a whole other world of entrepreneurship. No, that doesn't really do anything for me. Um, opens up a brick and mortar, has a tangible store location, has a restaurant, has something, a yoga studio, whatever. No, doesn't do it for me. Um, even who are the, the people that aren't even in your career, but they might be in other careers, but there's something about it that you envy. And I think for one of mine is uh, there's a woman named Alyssa Mastermonico, who's kind of my political girl crush. I read her book and was like, okay, this is the life I would have led if I had gone that route of working in the White House and in Washington. And she comes on to podcasts and gives commentary and she's like funny and she's smart. And I think, okay, well, I'm not going to become a political operative at this point in my life and I'm not going to rack up the years of experience that she has. But can't I do that in my own area of expertise? Isn't that guesting on other podcasts and bringing on you know, my wisdom to these other audiences is not having these great enriching conversations with other people who share your passion and share your interest. So actually, again, I can notice when I see something else in someone else's career and I can jot it down for myself and I can ask, where might I or how might I find that for myself? And again, I don't have to answer it right now, but I can simply ask the question and be open to start to hear the answers. Who do you admire for their mental health, their faith, or spirituality? There's something about the fact that they just seem like they have a lot of wisdom, or they have gone through a lot of healing. Um, It feels like they are really grounded in a certain way. Who is it that you look to and think, I feel like my brain would feel more peaceful if I was like them. Or, gosh, I think it would feel fulfilling. I'd like to be at that place. Like there's a man whose podcast I listen to who's probably in his 70s or 80s, and he just has so much wisdom. I mean, I'm never, well, I shouldn't say never, but like I'm not trying to be this wise old sage at this point, but I am so drawn to that that now that I think about it, there probably is something about like, I still want to be teaching and inspiring at 80. And wow, that's such a different version of a dream life than when I'm trying to focus on, oh, why am I a year behind on what my goals were? But suddenly I'm able to be like, I can look, listen to this guy, Bill Johnson, and be like, I want that wisdom when I'm in my 80s. Like, okay, noted. Or there's other just people that I follow that I just think she feels like she has a wisdom or a grounding or I've seen her do the work in her mental health. Or when I ask her for advice, it could be someone in your personal life. When I ask her for advice, her advice has such wisdom that I'm just like, uh, it's not that I'm like, oh, I want to be her when I grow up to this friend of mine, but I just, I respect it and I appreciate it. And it tells me that I value wisdom and I value good insight. I value emotional and mental health. So what is it for you that who are the people, whether you know them or not, that you are inspired by in that way. Furthermore, what little qualities in other people do you wish you had? 
I notice people that have a brilliant vocabulary or are so funny. My sister is so good at one-liners and coming up with plays on words and puns. Um, I have a girlfriend that I just feel like everyone likes her. She just seems so naturally likable. I can't imagine anyone not liking her. What are the characteristics that you see in other people that you kind of wish were true of you as well? Who do you admire for the way they live on a daily basis? What are the little tiny things you notice? Like, I do notice the accounts I follow who work out. It's not something that I do in my life. And yet I follow these accounts and I'm like, I do wish I was that person. And the fact that I keep following, and I'm not hate following, that's a very different thing. The fact that I keep following tells me I do want to be this person. I'm not saying it in a way like I will never be this person. I do want to. So I'm going to keep these here as a reminder. Okay, but they're not just working out. What kind of working out? These aren't people who are running a marathon or boxing. These are people who are doing workouts at home or that are kind of dance or music based or that are class based. Okay, well, even just there gives me some good reminders and insights that these are the kinds of things that I feel like I would be more likely to enjoy. I admire people that have morning routines. And based on a survey that I just did on my IG stories, it appears that um, 75% of you don't have morning routines and 80% of you feel guilty that you don't. So I think I am not alone in that. But I really notice when I hear someone say on a podcast that they take a walk every morning. I'm like, oh, that sounds lovely. Or that they have a morning like meditation and stretching practice. I think, gosh, that sounds really relaxing. Again, I do not have those things on a daily basis, but I do notice them and I notice that they come up more than once and they come up in different ways. They don't all have to look exactly the same. And even though I haven't implemented it now, it hasn't been the right time, I notice that I keep noticing them and that my brain is telling me this is something that you crave and just stay open to it and lean in and listen and explore when it's the right time or the right way or the right meaning of that for you. What do you daydream about? Where is what I call your happy place? For me, it's what I picture when I'm trying to fall asleep at night. If I'm not exceptionally tired, um, if I if I have that conscious thought, I sort of take myself to this magical place. For me, for years, it was a hammock on the beach holding hands with the bow in my life. I didn't know who that was for many years. And I got that image from a double page spread in O Magazine so many years ago when things finally ended from like years of will they, won't they with my college boyfriend. And they were truly done. And I put that on my ceiling So that as a reminder that every time I thought of him, I should mentally switch and take myself there as well. Guys, I was way ahead of my time as far as this whole taking control of your thoughts and everything that we talk about inside the wand and inside the journal. But it was really, truly so effective. So that became my happy place. Well, what was it about that image that was so appealing? It's it's rest. 
There's this peace and this sunshine and this breeze, and there's people. I wasn't there alone. It was about the fact that I did want that relationship, and I wanted that rest. That, to me, is the happy place. Now, I have my own updated vision of that that involves other, other elements of our lives that I'll keep private for me for now, but it is knowing that, okay, within that vision that I've started crafting in my head, what are the different little components that make that, that give me insight oh so i want some of that and oh i i really love that and this is where naturally i go to in my happy place if you knew you only had 3 years left to work and then you could never do anything in that area again what would you do in your work and creativity? If you, I think of a girlfriend of mine that is in finance and wants to be in politics, if she knew she only had three years and then it was like, I can do nothing in finance and politics, would she go join a presidential campaign? Because she wants that experience. Would she say, if I knew I only had three years, I wouldn't put it off any longer? Um, For me, I realized that that would be writing my book and that there are so many things that I could do, but that if I only got three more years to do them, I would write my book and film my docuseries. Those are the two things that I would be fighting for. And they are the things that I already am fighting for in that next three-year period, but it gives me extra clarity and motivation to know those are the things I would want to leave behind if I only had three more years to do this. So I cannot let myself get pulled off course with lesser things. I need to lean into that urgency. For maybe you, it could be you would mentor people. You would raise up the people behind you and you would pass on that knowledge. Maybe it's that you would learn a new skill and and pivot into a new direction. Now, I'm not saying that means that you need to make that pivot in the next three years, but it's helping you notice Actually, I know that I want more diversity. I know that that I want this to waterfall into this. This is the penultimate experience or the most important part of it to me. If I only had three years and then I couldn't do anything in this area that I'm passionate about again, here is the thing that I would make sure happened. This is a fun one. If you could clone yourself tomorrow and no one would know, there's just two of you, what would you do? You can either lead two separate lives or you can do twice as much in your current life. So would you stay in your current path and also want to go have that life of that crazy dream that you had to be in politics or be a musician or be in fashion, would you pursue that other thing? Or would you say, I I would just love to have two of me doing what I'm doing right now. I want to be able to do twice as much of this, to do it twice as fast, to do it better. There isn't a right or wrong answer here, but I think it's really insightful to realize that we do want to go all in on the thing we want to go all in on. And that that is truly the dream that we need to figure out is how do I do more of this thing? Or we really do have two very compelling competing dreams. And as we figure out our dreams and goals, 
We need to honor that, whether that is mourning and letting go of one side or finding ways to honor both. But we acknowledge that some of us do have those very two clear, distinct paths, and some of us are very clear on the path that we are on. Some of us are really torn as to which one we want to do. We are only trying to choose one, but we don't know. Some of us desperately want to choose both. But what does it make you feel if you thought that suddenly there could be two of you? Could you be accomplishing more in one thing, or could you be accomplishing more as in many things? And our final question, imagine your grandchildren are talking about you. You're at a meal with them and they have some friends that are over at the meal. Let's picture maybe they're around college age, you know, where they really have an awareness of your life and they really can speak to it. And they're describing to their friend, you know, oh, my grandma or my granddad, you know, what do you want them to say? I thought about that because it comes up often in the story of my engagement ring, that since we got engaged a couple years ago, I have referenced my grandmother's story so often when people comment on how beautiful my ring is, because it is magnificent, and you can tell that it's vintage, and I say, oh, thanks, it was my grandmother's. She was a manicurist. She worked out of her home for herself, and she loved being a manicurist because she loved having conversations with women and making them feel beautiful. And she prized and valued her own beauty, so she saved up her tip money and bought this ring for herself. And therefore, it basically runs in my DNA (laughs) that I love to help women, make them feel beautiful, and am an entrepreneur working for myself, which when you think about our grandmother's generation, which was a whole other thing. Well, I have never thought about that side of my grandmother's story until it came to this ring, But I wonder what it is for you that you could picture them saying, my grandmother had six kids and, you know, my she got her Ph.D. She was an executive at a company in New York City. Um, She was a public school teacher for 40 years. Like, what is it that you would love to be able to picture them saying with pride that was true of your life? And maybe it's not an accomplishment. Maybe it is. She gives the best advice. She is the person who is always there for me. She is an amazing cook. What are the things that you could picture your grandchild, your granddaughter, your grandson saying that would make you feel so proud that at the ripe old age of 93, you have done this in the world and it is being noticed and appreciated by this much younger generation of people that you love? So take all these things, all these notes that we have jotted down and start to see and notice the themes, the whys, why you're drawn to this, what it is, what are the elements that are coming up all across your pages? You know, for me, it's travel and impact, influence, helping people. It's living by the water, having outdoor space. It's business and creative What are the things that you see come up in time and time again? And maybe you want to write more about why you feel like you're drawn to something. Like, what about it? Why does the water tug at my heart so much, do I think? And what do I mean by creative? Like, 
what kind do I not really mean? I don't really mean I want to write music or I want to paint paintings, but really by creative, I mean this. I mean ideas and thoughts and speaking and video. And then you don't yet figure out how. You just notice and soak in what your dreams are, what you can learn about your head and your heart. I notice that the clean drinking water for me is one of those needs that gets to my heart, but that could mean donating time in volunteering. Uh, Time is in that's actually my job. Wisdom, as in I'm a Bill Gates exploring solutions. Money, as in I give $10 a month. Or influence, as in we take $10,000 from the sales of a course and build a well through Charity Water in Tigray, Ethiopia, which we have done and is nearing completion. But you don't have to start the nonprofit or change jobs or volunteer or be at a rally this week. You just notice That's a poll that was on my heart, and I'll remember and look for ways to honor that. And there are a lot of ways that I can honor that. There isn't a right or wrong, and there isn't an immediate time limit on it. One of my girlfriends was over, and it was part of what inspired today's episode. She was saying that she keeps being told by people that she would be an incredible COO, a chief operating officer of an organization. And she said, I really agree with people. I feel like that's exactly my skill set, and I would be really great at that. She said, but I want to be a full-time mom. Uh, Okay, first of all, let me point out, um, this friend is single. So she wasn't saying, I'm pregnant, the baby's due in two months, is now the time for me to try to change careers and approach a higher-level corporate job because I was planning on being a stay-at-home mom. What she's saying is, sometime in the hypothetical future, I want this other thing that I think is in conflict with me having the thing right now. And I said, first off, you can have both even at that time. Like, you can be a part-time COO who works remotely. Like, we have a part-time CFO on our company, our controller, um, who you know isn't here full-time but is incredibly powerful in the organization. She was like, oh, yeah. Because I do picture, like, leaving the house sometimes for meetings. And you're like, okay. So see, you actually, like, in your head, you've already merged them. But on paper, you're not even wanting to let yourself get there because you're like, these two things seem in conflict. But notice that you do want the corner office and the four kids. This was sort of the Sheryl Sandberg message in Lean In, I believe, that we don't believe two things can coexist. So we stop trying before we even get there. And she told stories of how many women, just like my friend, would come into her office who were single women already holding themselves back in their dreams because of another dream to have kids someday. And I think there's so many applications where we do that, where we think, well, if I want this, then I can't have that. And we try to stop the dream years before it really matters. The decision is not in front of us yet to choose A or B. We are making a hypothesis that that will be a decision at some point in the future. And therefore, we are making it way more complicated than dreaming just needs to be. I didn't know when I was that I was building a company when I started a side gig as a personal stylist. I think people see what I do now and think that it was this full-fledged dream and path. But no, I just didn't want to temp or wait tables anymore. I 
had a vision of doing something that used my talents. That was literally it. My dream was not to feel like I was in a mind-numbing job that used zero of my brain. But by going for that, I got a whole mission and life purpose. And all I did to start was just notice what I wanted. I wanted to feel like I was using my gifts. I wanted a flexible job where I could still audition. Like I wanted to have some good job over here and also audition. I didn't want to have to give one of them up. I wanted to have a few people working for me. I, I remember that I did kind of envision that there was a small team. But I didn't tell myself that it was silly or too hard or not for me. I literally just started a website, posted about it on Facebook, started telling people when I would see them socially, and the dream started to unfold. And you know what? At the time, I didn't want to give up auditioning. And I would not have chosen some other career if you had told me that I was going to have to retire from theater. It wasn't until I began down the path of this dream and I started to fall more and more in love with it that I realized I didn't want to go back to auditioning. I didn't want to take my hours away from running the business to audition. But if I'd had to stand at the train station and make that decision from day one, it would have felt so much more paralyzing and overwhelming. But I don't. We can lean into multiple dreams and truly trust that they will unfold as they are meant to, and that the parts of us that we want to see fulfilled in that dream will be honored and fulfilled in some other way. It just might not be the the bucket that we are thinking of, the exact Instagram image, the fill-in-the-blank description, but truly I believe that God and the universe and our hearts will honor those desires. And I believe your dreams matter because when you are happy, you bring happiness to others. When you love your life, you love others more. When your life is abundant, you can give more. I have seen this in my own life, that being uncomfortable in my weight, my skin, having no money, loathing being single, I didn't have much to give. My freaking incredible life now means I can give so much more. Whether that is the $10,000 to build a well in Africa and be like, huh, that felt easy. Or friends saying, you know, I know we're all busy and Like, well, I have a season of busyness, like launching this journal was one of them. But no, actually, I'm not that busy. For the right people, I still say no a ton because I want to be so there for the core of people I feel really called to. But I actually can give those people time. I can give to my marriage. I can be the one to fly to my family. We paid for so many people to take part in our wedding because we wanted to have that shared experience with them. I can donate every time my niece's school has a fundraiser or give free content all the time on Instagram and IGTV and this podcast. The bigger my dreams have gotten, the more I've been able to give to the people in my life and the world at large. Like Your playing small does not serve the world. You don't have to be a CEO or on any 30 under 30 list or any other fancy acronym. Um, I think of Linda, this woman in our life that is one of the most joyful people that I've ever met. I mean, I just had tears rolling down my face. I was laughing so hard at dinner with this woman. She was just hilarious. Her husband is a heart surgeon. He's like one of the best heart surgeons in America. And yet she is so thrifty. She has this story of getting being at some event where um, she or she was flying to an event and she was on a plane and she goes to get off the plane and she realizes she is walking next to Bill Clinton, who was the governor of Arkansas at the time. 
And Linda is so thrifty that Linda doesn't like bras. So Linda likes to wear nipple petals, you know, the little stick-on things. But she's so thrifty that she wears them a lot longer than you're supposed to. So she has a lot of stories about her nipple petals falling off. Well, she's standing next to Bill Clinton and she looks down and she notices that one of her nipple petals has fallen onto her shoe. And now she is limping and doing this, like trying to drag her back foot next to Bill Clinton so that he won't see the nipple petal. And she's like, it's okay. He'll just think I have a bad leg, but that's not embarrassing. Whereas having like a nipple petal on my foot would be. I mean, to me, it's just like this juxtaposition of this woman that gives so much because she is so joyfully full in her life that, you know, it's not about money or influence, but like, gosh, she was just so incredible. Like, I remember my mom thinking like, oh, I don't know if I want to go like stay with this woman. They live in this big house. They're probably like really fancy and stuffy. And then she thought, oh my gosh, this woman is amazing. We feel so comfortable being here. Like that is living the dream your way, that you can be the kooky Salvation Army dressed like This woman fixed a chandelier that she found thrown out on the side of the highway. Like, donate 70% of your income from your, you know, heart surgeon husband and know the president of the United States. Like, it's saying that you can do it in your way and it doesn't have to be big or flashy or fancy, but it can be in a way that brings you joy and brings other people joy. But if you don't admit it and write it down, it is so much less likely to happen. It's okay to be scared, but as my musical theater coach would say all the time, feel the fear and do it anyway. And remember, you don't need to know how. Know it can and will change as well. When I look back to July 2017, I just found an old journal as I was prepping our um, our journal for this year that was like two, two and a half years ago. And I saw what were my goals for my business at that time? Like it was to get to 2,000, 200,000 followers on Instagram. Okay. Yes, we did that. Get to 100,000 followers on YouTube. Nope. Didn't do that. Haven't launched a YouTube at all. Um, But it was the same intention because what we did instead was listen to, was launch a podcast that has well over 100,000 downloads. So Basically, the intention was there, but the the goal was completely different. Um, have more friendships. Okay, there were seasons where it was more yes and more no and more yes. I've written a book. Well, it didn't happen that year or the next year or the next year because I accidentally created a journal instead, um, but it's still on the list. Uh, I, I've learned French. Well, I've learned a little French. It's happened slower than I expected, but we can see the book is taking way longer than I expected, and I know that's more important, so I'm okay. Um, I'm I'm moving my body more. All right, still no, just mentioned, don't really work out, but I've done lots of other internal healing that I hadn't thought of at that time with my gut and gluten-free and all of these things. Um, I've healed my anxiety. Yes, it is way less. I still have moments on occasion, but I've switched instead to this vision not of total healing, but of having much more health. And that absolutely I do. And because I have it written down, I can see what my desires are. And the ones that haven't happened, I can look at why. And I can clear away even more competing priorities and celebrate the wins thus far and see a clearer path forward. I wrote down that I wanted 80% of my time unstructured for flow, freedom, and creativity as a true visionary. Um, Yeah, nope. 
two and a half years later, still working on that one. <laughs> um, so the lesson is these things take time. But we just posted for a new role that we're hiring, and I just hired a new executive coach. So I can see there that I am making progress and headed in that direction. So sometimes the details have shifted, but my heart remains the same, and I get even clearer on it. And I didn't have things then that I do have now. I have now additional clarity that I can add to it. I have the declaration that I want to set a million women free in their beauty through my books and courses. How did I get there, by the way? I googled how many copies had Girl Wash Your Face sold, and it was 800,000. And so I just figured, okay, so that means that um, there are, you know, a, a million women who are out there that are interested in personal development and that between multiple books and docu-series or TV show, like, okay, yeah, that's a feasible goal. Am I going to be able to measure that? I mean, maybe, but for me, that's not really the point. It's more that the dream makes it super clear for what I say yes and no to. Like, I was just asked by our pastor to host a small group, and it would seem like it's the right answer when your pastor personally asks you to, to do something. It would seem like this is being generous and this is being hospitable. But I knew that those 20 women would take me away from the 1 million that I'm called to. I knew that it wasn't my calling to do that because I knew what the dream was and I was able to have that clarity. And because I had that big number, it makes it so different. We're talking 20 or we're talking 1 million. If I do this and it's another six months before I have time to write that book, am I living out my greatest dreams and callings. No, I'm not. So I've got to say yes to the 99 really good things to say yes to the one. I've added that it's my dream that our company makes a 10, has $10 million in revenue annually. Now, the reason is because at that level, we would have the resources to have the team and the infrastructure that will amplify our impact. So little in my dreams was around money. Like that's not really the thing for me. But so many things are about freedom and impact. And now I have a clearer vision based on my eight years of experience running a company to know what I need as a company financially to make that freedom and impact happen. But the clearer that we are every six months, year by year of what we want, the more clarity we get as to how we get there, what that really means, and what the next steps are. So if you have the Elegant Excellence Goals Journal, our next steps are around goals, getting specific, narrowing, organizing, and making plans. But for now, take a few moments to reread your list when or if you took notes and enjoy your dreams. They are uniquely yours. You were created to have them, to have a story that no one else can live for reasons only you need to understand or don't even need to understand but honor. Honor what your heart loves. Honor what your head gets excited about. Honor who you are. And the more you lean into your dreams, the easier it will become to see what they are and see them come to life. Oh, wait. One more thing. Don't miss this. Before you go, love. P.S. Something I'm loving lately are all of your fellow nerdy questions about what kind of pens I use to write inside the Elegant Excellence Goals Journal. So 
For those of you who have asked, I have linked them in the description below because that was going to be the easiest way and place here to share them because I have four different kinds because, yes, I'm really obsessed with beautiful paper paper products. So let me tell you the ones that are linked below. There are two regular black and there are two colored. My favorite for years has been the Pilot V razor point pen in extra fine. I love it both in black. It is what I write with every day. And I also love the full colored set. It is what I really love to take all of my notes in when I'm doing journal writing. But I also have newly discovered, a lot of you asked what the white pens were that were in the photo shoots that we did for the journal. I ordered them on Amazon simply because they were pretty pens, but then I really loved the way that they wrote. And so I was grateful that I had a whole fistful of them. So they are called the the Tull the T-U-L, retractable gel pens in medium point in pearl white. They write super nice. So the first ones, the pilot ones, are more inky. Like they're going to have a little bit more ink. Like if you were someone who writes with the side of your hand, you know, or you were a lefty, like you might smear them. Whereas the tool is a little bit more of a roller ball, but like a really smooth, nice one. And then I also love another set of pens that are a little bit more like markers, the Papermate Flare pens that are another rainbow of color. So two sets of black, two sets of colors. Holla for the nerdy friends um, in the back who also love to geek out over their pretty paper products. I cannot wait to see the snapshots of you using your journal. Please come share them on Instagram at Hillary Rushford and with the hashtag Elegant Excellence so I can follow along as your dreams unfold with your beautiful, colorful handwriting. Till next Wednesday. 